Okay, everyone. This week, we are presenting one of our Encore episodes. This is one of your favorite episodes from 2018 of the Spark Joy podcast. We hope you enjoy it, and we're looking forward to seeing you at the top of next year. Happy holidays from Spark Joy podcast. Things have a purpose that every item has an intended use. So if you are no longer able to use an item for its intended purpose, for example, if it's a dress that's been sitting in the back of your closet that you don't wear because it doesn't suit you or it doesn't fit anymore, then the right thing to do, whatever right means, is to let it go on to someone who can use it for its intended purpose. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Today's show is dedicated to commonly held myths and missteps about the KonMari method. When a philosophy like KonMari becomes popular, it immediately is vulnerable to misinterpretation. We've seen articles and blogs and videos that pop up essentially challenging KonMari and all have had very polarizing views of the method. So there, for example, there's even this cringeworthy parody book called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a F. Um, we're, <laughs> we'll keep this podcast clean. But we've noticed that the challengers often dismiss the effectiveness of KonMari as being an answer or a permanent solution for being tidy. So sometimes we see people viewing it as this method that's kind of quirky or woo-woo. But for the sake of time, we won't really dive into all of these challenge pieces individually. We'll just link them in our show notes as reference and instead address like all the major themes and the misinterpretations that we've seen across the board in today's show. Obviously, as KonMari consultants, we value KonMari and all things KonMari as it has had a very huge impact in our lives and, and we see it have a very huge impact on the lives of our clients. And, you know, we've actually witnessed it in person in our own lives and in those around us. So it's, you know, it's a very big deal to us. But like with all popular ideas, we are definitely open to being challenged and to have those beliefs questioned because we feel like it it helps make our beliefs stronger. And Kamari may not be the perfect fit for everyone, not at all. So it's important for us as organizers and Kamari organizers to recognize that it's not something that we should completely ignore when people bring up points about what might be lacking in the method. In fact, as consultants, we've really grown to appreciate a lot of different approaches to organizing and to our work with clients and recognizing that sometimes a very straightforward KonMari technique by the book doesn't always work for everyone and doesn't always fit the bill in every single situation. So today we're going to try to set the record straight and share some of our own thoughts and experiences while exploring some of the criticisms of KonMari. We also want to shed light on some of the common missteps as well, reasons why you may not be 100% successful in your own KonMari efforts and 100% successful in living a life of KonMari. But first, it's time for a joy check. So, Kristen, what is sparking joy for you today? Well, 
Just an hour ago, I received a package in the mail. And isn't it great when you've purchased something and then you kind of forget about it and then it shows up? And it's such a great surprise. I had something custom made with my business's brand on it. Um, for those who haven't seen my logo for For the Love of Tidy, there's a heart logo that's kind of my main brand. And then I have a secondary tidy line that's also part of the branding. And I I have contemplated creating t-shirts and other paraphernalia with this branding on it. So I was experimenting, considering that I'm going to be an aunt very, very soon, probably in a matter of days now. Um, I was experimenting with creating a tidy onesie for little Charlie, who's coming soon. And I totally forgot that I had had it custom made. And so that really sparked joy when I opened that up in the mail today. And I can't wait for her to try it on. And I will definitely share that on my Instagram. And that's at for the love of tidy. And I'm just so excited. It's so cute. It has a little heart on the back and then the tidy line on the front. And it's just so simple. And I can't wait oh, until she tries it on. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit of a next generation tidy thing yeah. going on. <laughs> Get them started right. Yeah. So that's that's spark and joy at the moment. Nice little surprise in the mail. What about you, Karen? What's spark and joy for you? Well, it's something kind of similar having to do with being an aunt as well. I, many, many years ago in my travels, picked up this beautiful antique wooden doll bed. And it's it's in the East Lake style, if you're familiar with kind of some vintage furniture styles from mm-hmm. around the turn of the century. And I had had it in pieces and I'd had it for years and years. And, and my intention was always to get it restored and put together for my little niece. And I just never really got around to doing it. But this year, after putting her Christmas things away, I discovered it and I said, ah, this is the year and her birthday's coming up in March. So I've already started making plans to get the work done on the bed. And I just found somebody on Etsy who makes these beautiful tufted ticking mattresses for doll beds. So I'm going to order one of these little mattresses and some little blankets and things to go with the doll bed and give it to her for her birthday. So I'm just so excited about that. I think it's, it's finally coming to fruition and I'm, I'm so excited to actually put this item to use and especially to its intended use as a doll bed. So it'll be very fun. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope she loves it as much as I'm going to love getting it together for her. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) So now that we've sparked some joy, let's start walking through some of the common KonMari myths. Yes, I'm excited about addressing these today. Let's start with myth number one. So you may have heard this myth before. KonMari equals minimalism or minimalism is KonMari. What do you think about that one, Karen? Well, this is always kind of the first one that comes up for people and the truth is, is that KonMari is not minimalism, although people often find that they have fewer things after they've completed their tidying festival. There's really nothing in KonMari that says you have to give up all of your things or anything. And it's really not about being focused on a minimalist way of life. Every single person who does KonMari does it completely differently. And the end result of each Kanmari tidying festival is completely different for each person. So as someone may end up with 
a lot of items that spark joy and their click point involves having a lot of things around them. For someone else, it can be completely the opposite. And I have seen every single extreme in my work as a consultant. There's really no way, there's no right number of things that someone should have. Minimalism is often more of a, a philosophy about trying to do with less, where KonMari is more about trying to to not so much about what you don't have, but what you do have. And it's all about shifting the focus to more of a what sparks joy and your vision as opposed to how many things do I have. I totally agree with that. I would say that the philosophies can kind of complement each other, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to be a minimalist in order to apply KonMari and vice versa. Um, So not every minimalist practices KonMari. Not every person going through a KonMari tidying event has the goal of being a minimalist. But of course, if that's interesting to you, you can um, have that goal. And, you know, I know that uh, we can link it within the show notes and put on our Instagram, just photos of Marie Kondo's home, for example. Um, If you saw her home, you might think, oh, well, Kamari is minimalism because it is, it is really, uh, you know, there's so, so many beautiful intentional things in her home, but really just, it, just the bare minimum of what she needs. Uh, there is some ornament, but it's very, very white, very light and uh, very minimal. Uh, but really, Kamari, minimalism is more about minimizing the number of things, whereas Kamari is really focused on what you keep, not necessarily what you're letting go. Letting go is a result of the process, but really Kanmari is about sparking joy, not necessarily minimizing. Right. And even in her book and in every book, there's really this theme that, and you know, one of the things that we say sometimes is it doesn't matter. You can keep all the shoes because it seems like shoes are always one of those things that people always feel that they have too many of, but it really does depend on, on what fits in with um, your vision of the person that you're becoming. So that really doesn't have, there's no number that's applied to that. So you'll never read in a KonMari book, this is the number of items that you should have. Yes. And I feel like some people and perhaps some listeners out there might have a little bit trouble with that, where Marie doesn't necessarily give you that prescription. You have to have five pairs of shoes, you know, two pairs of socks, whatever it is. Uh, and, And really... That can be viewed as a, a negative aspect of this method. But really, if you think about it in terms of, yes, you could say that everything in your home sparks joy. But if there isn't a balance between you, your home and your possessions and whatever that is, and we call that kind of the click point mm-hmm. where it all makes sense, no matter um, if everything sparks joy, it's still going to bother you and and you'll feel cluttered in your space if you don't uh, consider that all of those things have to work together in harmony. Absolutely. All right. So moving on to myth number two, Kunmari is a selfish activity fundamentally concerned only with material possessions. What do you think about that one? Well, this is really interesting because because it's certainly been my experience with my clients. So it's really more about resetting the importance of things in their lives as opposed to magnifying the importance. So for a lot of my clients, 
this is certainly true of myself. I came to Kanmai because I felt that that things were taking too big of a role, that I was spending too much time fussing over stuff, that I was spending too much time finding things, that my space just felt really stuffed. And I wanted to move away from feeling that way. And in Kanmai, there's, there's such an emphasis on this idea of a vision. And the vision is really about how many things do I have or what kind of things do I have? It's much more about family and friends and occupation and vocation and, and the things that we want to spend our time doing and looking at time as really the most important commodity as opposed to things. Sure. And I'm trying to maybe divide this this myth up a little bit. So if I just take a look at the, the fact that Kunmari is viewed as a selfish activity, I can see kind of where that's coming from or how someone could interpret that way because Marie definitely encourages you to be the center of this activity. She encourages you to only examine your items in the home, for example, and to take time to understand what your values are. Um, and, but I really view that more in the vein of of self-care and self-awareness and creating an understanding of what you value and what your ideal life is so that then you can model that for whoever else is in your life, or you can open up more time to uh, either invite more people into your house or life house or life uh, in terms of relationships, <laughs> or you can make your existing family structure and uh, communication better through the act of tidying. And it's really a self-discovery process. So yes, it is focused on self, but it's, n- it's not necessarily a selfish activity in my opinion. And when I think about the second part, it, it, being concerned only with material possessions. Yes, this is a, a process that, is fundamentally focused on taking a look at what's tangibly in front of you. And what I do is I think back to its origin. Where did this come from? Because I think this is kind of a um, something that's a bit lost in cultural translation. Um, mm-hmm. So Marie Kondo is from Japan. Uh, and in Japan, they really revere and honor objects uh, a lot more than we do in our culture. Um, and really the entire life cycle of an object uh, the, from the raw resource uh, to the person who crafted, you know, the, the item. So I think that uh, our culture wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> Perhaps right. talking to objects, thanking objects, greeting a home—that's right. kind of viewed as something that's quirky or weird. Uh, so when we think about it in that context, we got to remember where this that where this came from, and we've got to accept it uh, as a Japanese-based method that it is. And I can see how it could clash with some uh, Christian values, for example, mm-hmm. where we're taught not to necessarily revere objects um, and uh, honor or worship possessions and things like that. But ultimately, the outcome, the impact of the method is something that's more on a spiritual level, emotional level. um, And that's the whole changing life part, right? Right. Tie to your home. That's the possession part, but change your life. So we have to go through the possessions or get those possessions to kind of teach us something about ourselves and keep that bigger picture in mind. So we don't end up just trying to put a bandaid on things with storage or just 
just kind of sort and shuffle things around the home. It's really about having that bigger, larger, life-changing revelation moment. Yeah, I think it cannot be overemphasized that there may be cultural differences in the way Kanmai was practiced in its original Japanese and how it's practiced in some Western cultures, for example. We don't necessarily put the same attributes to material possessions that that someone might in Japan. And so I think that maybe that's gotten misinterpreted to mean kind of a an overfocus or giving things more importance than they really deserve. And, and that's one of the things that I think we've found as consultants in learning about other methods of organizing, that there are things that apply in different practices that work in different circumstances. And certainly this is one of those things what, that may be a little different for um, practitioners in the Western world. But again, it always goes back to this idea for me that that it's really not about the things. It's really about what your life becomes after you have put things into proper perspective. And as the, the last sentence of the life-changing magic of tidying up says, life truly begins only after you have put your house in order. Yes. And just to clarify, the Kamari method is a Zen-based principle, but it's not necessarily a religion. Um, so you don't have to s- totally subscribe to that um, way, uh, that institution in order to get something from a Kamari. Um, so right. really, it it's just a philosophy and you can take what you want from it essentially. And, uh, and really as, as consultants, that's our job to help you kind of interpret what aspects of it can be most helpful for you and really tweak and customize, uh, the, the tool itself, uh, to your situation. Absolutely. So let's move on to myth number three. Kanmari encourages you to throw out everything you own to the point where you're either left with nothing or you need to immediately buy new things. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. This is a great one because I, first of all, have yet to see a single person who was in any danger of not having anything by the time they were done with their tidying festival. Mm -hmm. We, generally have plenty of things even after discarding all the things that don't spark joy. But a lot of folks joke, you know, if I got rid of everything I didn't like that didn't spark joy, I would have nothing. But of course, that's just not true. Another way of looking at spark joy for me is things that are either that I consider to be either especially beautiful or extremely useful. So, Obviously, there are many things that are really useful in our lives that don't necessarily spark joy. And those things are just as important because they allow us to live a joyful life because they are practical. So, you know, things like, you know, the things that we need every day to to get through the day don't necessarily spark joy. Kitchen appliances may not spark joy, but we need them to prepare our food. You know, toiletry items may not necessarily spark joy, but they serve a purpose and they they facilitate our, the parts of our lives that do spark joy. 
And sometimes people do find that the, the things that they have are inadequate and don't serve the purpose that they're intended to serve. So we often talk about this idea of, well, let's keep that pair of scissors that doesn't work really well for right now because we need the pair of scissors. But the idea is that when you find a great pair of scissors that works really well and that you love, then you'll replace them. But so it's really more about just feeling content with the things that you have as opposed to getting rid of every single thing that you own or feeling like you need to go buy a bunch of new things that spark some sort of joy that you've never felt before. For sure. And I actually think Kanmari leads us to make better choices and more mindful choices about our shopping. And I've noticed with clients, sometimes this happens even before we've completed tidying across all categories. So I don't let my clients know, I guess I'm, the secret's out here now, <laughs> but I, I, I don't let them know that I'm, every time I return to their house, I'm going to ask them casually, usually I do this, if they have shopped lately, like if mm-hmm. they picked up anything since I've left, uh, because that's a clear indicator. If they've tried to skip ahead and buy storage bins, or if they have tried to or continued to make trips to the thrift store, or or that's usually an indicator that it hasn't quite clicked yet. Um, when I hear them say things like, just like one of my clients who I'm going to see this weekend, last time I was at her home, she said, you know what? I didn't go to the thrift store. I didn't Uh, buy anything. Instead, I took that money and I put it towards my credit card bill. I was like, hallelujah. (laughs) That is what I'm trying to hear. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, So it's always a clear uh, indicator that things are changing. So yeah, I definitely don't think that Kanmari is encouraging us to just go out and replace everything immediately. It's really all about just being more mindful about the purpose uh, purchases and paying attention really to what we're consuming, just understanding, you know, right. not being, not, you know, going on Amazon and just buying whatever we need without letting it sit for 24, 48 hours, you know, for a minute. So we can just make sure that that's really what we want uh, and need in our life. So yeah, totally agree. It's so interesting that you say that because I also have noticed, certainly I noticed it with myself right off this idea And I think it's really quick into the process for most people that they start asking the question, what need am I filling by acquiring new things? You know, most of us know the term shopping therapy or retail therapy. And for a lot of people, especially if you feel like you've acquired too many things and you're no longer comfortable in your home, then it's somewhat likely that you have used shopping as a form of entertainment. And so many of my clients will say to me just spontaneously, you know, I'm just not that interested in buying stuff anymore. It used to be something I did all the time and now I just don't do it that much. Or, and I think this is even better, that instead of buying a lot of inexpensive items just to, you know, get a t-shirt in every color, they're waiting until they find like the perfect t-shirt and the perfect color and spending more money on that one t-shirt than they would spend on 10 t-shirts before. It really does have to do with looking at quality and you know, how an item is going to bring more joy into your life and fit into your vision, as opposed to even being concerned about whether you're getting rid of everything or buying new things. Yes. And I think that might be a good topic for a future show. We might uh, be able to bring on someone who specializes in shopping addiction or impulsive habits 
because I think that's something I've always struggled with. And I think some of my clients, they, they definitely Kanmari enlightens them, but they need some longer term support, uh, especially when they have a situation where they've wrapped their value system or their entertainment, their hobbies around shopping. Right. Um, because they don't know how to fill that void or that gap. So, uh, yeah, it's something we should probably further explore in a future show for sure. I love that idea. That sounds very good. And along with the myths, we often see folks fall into a few common missteps when practicing Kanmari. And it's, these are really important to pay attention to because if you find yourself attempting or going through the Kanmari tidying event, but you haven't yet experienced a lasting change in your environment or in your sense of yourself, there may be some reasons for that. So let's talk about some of the more common missteps that we see most often. So number one, this is the biggie. Skipping the step where you envision your ideal lifestyle and your ideal living environment. So yeah. What do you think about that one? That one's huge. And I think it's, it's, it's probably the most important one or the one that I see so often overlooked. I, and I totally get why I was curious why, um, when someone reads the, any of the Kanmari resources, they, that this is skipped. And I realized that, you know, once you close that book and you finished it, the first thing you want to do is grab something and let it go or, (laughs) or determine what sparks joy. Like you want to take action. Um, but with the vision, planning, it's something that one can be a little bit emotional. um, And it can lead to being a bit time consuming. I'd say it probably takes about 30 minutes to an hour to really sit down and think about your ideal life. Um, Think about what the clutter is currently saying about you, thinking about your goals short term and long term, thinking about how you want your space to feel and look and how it should support you, you know, once the tidying event is complete. But even though this can seem like an intimidating step, it's it's very important. And we have some episodes actually to help you with this uh, this task. We recorded episode one, Kanmari 101, to give you guys a breakdown of the method itself. But then we followed that by recording episode five, the Kanmari lifestyle. And that has really specific steps around that first fundamental um, task when you're starting your tidying event, which is just really honing in on what your ideal lifestyle and your ideal living environment is. Yeah, I think that's so important to do this. I I find that a lot of times when people are feeling really anxious in the middle of Kanmai or they're feeling really overwhelmed, that if they can go back to their vision, it really is helpful. In fact, I'll say to clients a lot, remember your vision, remember your vision, because really a lot of times that's what's going to pull you through the process. If you're feeling overwhelmed or that it's endless or that it's just, you know, causing a lot of anxiety, which, you know, this can really cause anxiety. I mean, going through your things one by one and deciding what is a part of your, the person that you want to become can be really stressful. So being able to go back to that vision, which is an ideal life and your ideal living environment, of course, recognizing that, you know, ideal is just the ideal, but still it gives you a, a framework and a goal to reach for. And 
And it's kind of interesting to see how that can change over time, but it's important to start with a baseline. This today is how I want to see myself in the future. I mean, it can be that simple. It can really start with just that simple thought and, that, and that's all there is to it. It's such an important step and it's such a, a hard thing to start. But once you've done it, you'll realize just how pure and clear it is for you as an individual. And so now, misstep number two. This one's also very important. Forgetting to honor and acknowledge items for their usefulness. And this is especially true when you are letting them go. Yes. So let's start by reviewing the aspects of Kanmari that revolve around an honor and respect and gratitude. So we examples of that would be saying thank you when we let an item go. Um, and saying this out loud, um, speaking to the clothes as we are processing them, uh, closing the season uh, that possession has had in your life. Uh, other ways of respect, the folding process, the Kanmari signature folding technique. That's a detail, right? And often people say, Oh, do I have to fold? You know, is that something I have to do? Uh, and I always encourage my clients to try it out and explain to them the reason behind folding. Cause when you can pay attention to a detail in your home, like a sock or, uh, you know, a, a shirt, a t-shirt, even though that it might be uh, a t-shirt that's just there temporarily until you replace it, it still has a, a value to you. And when we can respect the little things and pay attention to the little details, that sets us up for really acknowledging the and and inviting the bigger things and change into our life. So um, usually I, I pay attention to how often a client or how a client is responding to the whole um, saying thank you and appreciating items as we we um, roll through the tidying event. Uh, I will say some clients are not particularly comfortable with this, right? It's not a completely natural thing. But I always encourage them to try it out because it not only is a, is really this kind of hidden gem within Kanbari that you don't even realize it's an important step to do until you actually do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also, it helps me understand what items are staying and going without me having to ask, okay, are you sure, is this a yes or is this a no? And it also prevents you from just saying no, 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 for an hour. Mm -hmm. Instead, you can be saying something more positive, like, thank you. No, I appreciate this, but now it's gone. You're, you're saying goodbye in a respectful way and you're putting positive messaging out there instead of just focusing on, oh, no, I want this out of my life. No, get it away from me. You know, so which is not as positive. And it's just, it's just a good thing to do, really. I completely agree. And I also find that this is really useful when clients are feeling guilty or remorseful about letting go of items. Mm -hmm. And especially if they're items that they are getting ready to donate. And I like this idea that, that things have a purpose, that every item has an intended use. So if you are no longer able to use an item for its intended purpose, for example, if it's a dress that's been sitting in the back of your closet that you don't wear because it doesn't suit you or it doesn't fit anymore, then 
the right thing to do, whatever right means, is to let it go on to someone who can use it for its intended purpose. So sometimes I find it that that helps people let something go in a real positive way, as opposed to feeling guilty or remorseful about the wastefulness of it. Because if we can give, if we can let things go on to their next life, and, you know, their next useful life, then it's not a wasteful thing. Even if it was something that you were never able to wear and that maybe the tags are still on it or whatever, that, that thing, that item can still serve a purpose in the world. And so that's a, really a form of gratitude to me is that, you know, if you can accept what that item has meant for you and let it go on, it's really a really positive thing. And the same thing is true of appreciating the things for what they do do to us or for us, acknowledging that something is really wonderful and that you love having it and that it makes your life easier and makes your life more pleasant. And so, you know, thanking items works both ways for sure. Number three is also super important and one that I think a trap that a lot of people fall into. And number three is not completing all the categories. Yes. So this is a key um, misstep. I would say uh, those who have attempted a Kanmari tidying event on their own may have confronted category one, which is clothing. And after you complete clothing, I've seen people get kind of a false sense of satisfaction. Like, yes, my, my bedroom space is great. My clothes are all folded. I've done something. Wow. I've, I've, you know, purged all of these bags. I have made a life changing, you know, attempt at, at, at taking these things out of my home. And that may definitely be the case. Um, but usually where I really see people having more permanent success is when they actually continue to cipher through all of the categories. Because uh, unless you really walk through all of them, I, I literally do not guarantee that a client will have lasting and permanent change unless they've walked through all categories. Um, because I strongly believe that if you stop short, um, you don't truly get the full understanding and, and really have those confronting moments with everything um, in your space. A lot of people assume, oh, yeah, clothing is my problem. But then usually paper can teach us so much or um, sentimental items, you know, are, are really crucial uh, to to really dig deep into as well. And they all work together and they all present better opportunities for storage and just general decluttering in a really holistic way. So I always encourage my uh, clients not to um, just assume that they will automatically be permanently tidying after only completing, you know, a couple categories. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that if what I've seen sometimes is that people feel like they've, okay, so I've done clothing on my own and I've, I don't really have any books, so I don't really even need to do books, but I'm really struggling with papers. So Karen, could you come and help me with papers? So, and so what's interesting about that is sometimes they actually have done a wonderful job with a, with a portion of, of their, their categories before I get there. But I always want to go back and check and see. So I'll say something like, let's just go take a look at your clothes and just double check and tell me how you made some of these decisions because that'll help me as we go forward. And sometimes 
they really didn't do all of their clothing or they did a portion of their clothing and decided that um, the things that were hanging in the closet were important to tidy, but the things in the drawers really weren't that big of an issue. But then when we get talking a little bit about it, sometimes it turns out that, that is a big issue. So going back and completing that category really sets the stage for moving forward. Um, and again, everyone's different and everyone everyone's tidying festival is different, but the order is is so specific and seems to be um, uh, it seems to build upon itself in such a way that just it really lends itself to being much more successful. So even though you may feel that clothing is your only issue and that all the other categories are really fine and completely under control. It's, it's just so highly recommended that you, that you commit to doing all of the, all of the categories. It, it's really, um, it's really how you get to that place where you can truly say everything in my home is here for an intentional reason. Yeah. And I, I find that my clients who have tried to tidy independently and then pulled me in for additional support, they always say, okay, well, let's just review clothing. But, you know, I've really done a great job in this category. Like, I think we're going to spend like no time here. And they're always shocked that they end up with like a big pile of clothes um, that move on. And I think that loops a bit back to the other misstep, which is, you know, that whole defining the ideal lifestyle and ideal living environment. And that's something that I make sure I do with my clients, no matter where they are in the process. Mm -hmm. So that also impacts, you know, work that may have been done prior to establishing that vision. So yeah, they're always shocked. Um, But I I always know, and I know, I always know what's going to happen before it happens. (laughs) But you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I just let them, you know, assume that we probably aren't going to have too many things to let go of. But it's always great when they say, wow, okay, I I get it. You know, (laughs) let's walk through these categories again. And then, then you'll be prepared to tackle the one that, you know, really held you up. Right. Number four, thinking about storage and organization before the sorting is completed. Oh, yes. This is a big one. We've talked about the Band-Aid, right? Storage is just a Band-Aid, just a temporary fix. And if we focus on it before really addressing what matters, what's inside the bins, what's hiding, um, really, we jump the gun and could risk buying things that really aren't even important. Uh, necessary. And uh, I see this all the time with, with clients where the storage capacity is great. It's just that no matter what pretty bins you use, uh, we kind of call this in consulting world, um, putting lipstick on a pig, right? It's It never really solves the problem, right? It's still there no matter how pretty your storage bins uh, are. And it's still making you anxious. It's still, you're still feeling like things are cluttered and you're still finding finding it hard to find things. So that means you know, we have to take a step back and extract everything out of the storage bins and understand what they are. And then towards the end of the process, towards when you're dealing with miscellaneous and sentimental items, that's when you have a much better understanding of your actual storage needs. And that's where the mindful shopping should begin. Um, so really, uh, I avoid the container store. Um, until you've, I know 
it's te- it's tempting. We all love uh, storage and organizational tools. Even us as Kamari consultants, we we love them. Yeah. They spark joy. But uh, yeah, we don't we don't even bother with trying to figure that out until the very end. You know, I always I always say that the container store has a perfect solution to every single problem for twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> I mean, it's really true. I mean, mm-hmm. you walk into that place, and it is it is a, an amazing place. And it's filled with solutions to how to to store and organize your vast quantity of things. Um, but if you don't if you don't sort first, then you're never going to know what your organizational needs are. And if I see a client becoming anxious at any part in the process, I can generally trace it back to them beginning to think about organizing before the sorting is completed. So, for example, when when we sometimes break clothing down into subcategories because clothing as a whole can be way too overwhelming, instead of uh, completing the sorting, we I can see sometimes people get hung up on where the shirts are going to go before we've sorted the pants as well. So I always try to bring us all back because I can do this too. I can kind of get ahead of myself and think about where, where are these going to go um, to this idea that, that you're not really going to know what your storage needs are until the sorting is completed. Um, and you, d- you certainly don't want to be buying storage for um, – for items that you're going to be getting rid of, so um, it can be a it can be a savings in many different ways. It's it can be a savings financially because you're not having to, to spend money on things um, to store items, but it's also a savings in space because those things are not going to be taking up space. And then, of course, always um, it's a savings of anxiety because then you're not having to deal with those things. And there are some amazing storage solutions, and every Conway organizer has their favorites that they like. Um, and there's a, a just a, a lot of different wonderful solutions to make your closets look beautiful. And that's exactly what you want. But it's so important to wait until you know what you're going to be storing um, before you start deciding how you're going to organize them. Yeah. I like for my clients to find money rather than <laughs> spending money. Um, so it's much more likely that you'll find money if you actually open those drawers up and dump everything out. You will find things like change or a check that needs to be cashed or a gift card. Um, and then you can either choose to use that money at the container store or Target or other places um, or just, you know, use it towards your uh, maybe a goal that's in your ideal vision or lifestyle. Maybe you have financial goals and you want to reinvest that money that you found, you know, and tidying pays you back. It really does if you're serious about it. So that brings us to number five, being overly concerned with the clutter of other people. Yes. So this also goes back to the uh, myth that we discussed around Kanmari being kind of a selfish activity. Um, And really, it's just a self-development activity. And in doing that, it's important to put yourself first, as Marie says in, in the book about putting that oxygen mask on first, really t- making sure that you're modeling the best behavior before trying to place blame or tidy shame, as we call it, anyone else in your household, whether it be your, your kids or your husband or wife or your roommate, whoever it is, 
usually if you're pointing fingers at them, there's a big thumb pointing right back at you and you might be the source of the problem. And maybe you're projecting that onto others. So yeah, it's really important to keep the focus and the attention on you by only focusing in tidying things that you have direct ownership uh, of and that you, you know, um, definitely could make decisions about without any hesitation or any additional input from whoever else you live with. You know, and sometimes I think it comes from a very well-meaning place. Um, I see lots of times where a spouse or a parent wants to, you know, just be helpful and help, you know, their, their loved one have a better, a more tidy environment. Um, but I think oftentimes it's really, it's really just coming from feeling anxious and overwhelmed in the home. And so, um, and, and then looking at the the clutter in the entire home as a whole instead of what you actually have control over. Everyone's approach to organization is just different. There are rarely two people in even a home that will see organization in the same way. Um, and sometimes it's a, a real test of patience to allow other people to um, find their own way. But it, it just seems really a common thing that when one person in the home begins to um, tidy and organize their own things, that the other folks in the family kind of fall fall in line and they become interested in doing that themselves. Um, if at the, In the worst case scenario, scenario, they at least become much more respectful of your space and understanding of how important it is to you to keep things tidy. Exactly. And I feel like sometimes blaming others for the clutter in the home can also be a form of um, procrastination as well, mm. or a sign of procrastination. I, uh, especially when I work with moms, sometimes they always want to know when they can start tidying their kids' items. Um, but I always just encourage them to really treat this as as some me- serious me time, right? <laughs> and uh, really take ownership of just their things first, get comfortable with that, and then they can go um, tidy and help to uh, work with their children. And really by that time, the kids really are, you know, are intuitive and, and pick up on what is happening with, with their mom, the, their mom's behavior, like whether they literally see their mom taking things out of the home or they see a change in their mom's spirit or just general energy level and excitement around tidying. And naturally they, they come along at that point. Yeah. And on the other hand, I think a lot of times parents are really surprised to find out when, when they give their kids the option to tidy, that they, they are so clear, even at a very young age of exactly what they want to keep and what they love, what, what clothes they like to wear. And so, you know, a lot of times it's, it's just kind of amazing to watch even really young children really get into it once their parents let, let it be kind of their choice. So sometimes it, it's better to just kind of stand back and, and, and take care of your own your own possessions and, and let other people see what's going on in, in your own life. And then it becomes a, um, a good model for them. 
So we have one final misstep and it's one we feel really strongly about. And we actually received a great question from a listener that we're going to use to kind of illustrate uh, how you should avoid this last uh, kind of misconception about Kanmari. So the misconception itself is assuming just because one particular aspect of Kanmari is weird to you or not comfortable, um, then that means that the entire process is just going to crumble and not work for you. For example, if you feel uh, uncomfortable with taking things out of your purse every day, like Marie Kondo suggests, or covering up all of the labels in your home, or not having things like the soap dispenser and the drying rack out on the counter. If that just feels uncomfortable to you, uh, and you feel like, oh my gosh, because I can't do that, I will not be successful. That is just totally not the case, right? <laughs> so we want to illustrate uh, how you can really mold this uh, tool to really um, work through your particular situation. So we have a great question from a listener that Karen's going to read for us. And here's the email. Hi, Kristen and Karen. I discovered your podcast about a week ago when I was in the middle of reading The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. First of all, thank you for all the inspiration in your podcast. I have booked some time off work in February to do the KonMari method in my house, which feels like ages away. But your podcast is really helping me to keep focused and to narrow in on how I want this process to have an impact on my life. It's also helping me keep the momentum going until the big day arrives when I can get started. It's all very exciting. I wanted some advice on how to deal with those hard-to-reach spaces. I think basements tend to be more used in the U.S., but here in the U.K., I live in the southeast of England, it tends to be the attic spaces which hide lots of clutter. Am I best to get it all down at the start of the journey, or should I go up there category by category and bring things down? I have a small two-bedroom house, and I'm worried about where to put everything while I'm sorting through what sparks joy and what does not. I can already feel this process is helping me to align with what I want to achieve in the future. So thank you for the ongoing support and for continuing to spark joy. Many thanks and all the best with your podcast, Hester. All right, Hester. So it looks like you are struggling a little bit with tidying by location versus tidying by category. Um, in this case, you were saying the attic is a little bit harder to reach and you feel like if you um, tr attempted tidying by category and brought everything out of the attic right from the jump start of your uh, tidying process, it would overwhelm your space because you're working within kind of a, a apartment living, it sounds like in the UK. So yeah, uh, in this case, we would recommend that you treat your attic space as one particular miscellaneous category. Most likely, there's going to be some things that are sentimental there and seasonal. Um, so if that is the case, I would hold off on totally disrupting your house by bringing everything out of your attic <laughs> until you've started through clothing, um, books and paper. Now you might run into the situation where you're going to find something like clothing, books or paper in the attic, uh, category or the, the moment when you've reached, uh, your tidying event and you've, you're ready to tackle attic. Uh, but that's okay. 
you'll just in that case loop back um, and reevaluate and see how those items fit within uh, categories that you've already addressed. That's perfectly okay. Most likely, the majority of those particular categories aren't going to be up in those attics. So you'll still get that power of the pile, as we call it, effect when you put all of your clothing, books, and paper in one place. And if you miss a few, it's not the end of the world. Again, it's not going to crumble apart (laughs) because you didn't perfectly (laughs) tidy by category. Um, It really is not. And uh, yeah, Karen, do you have any other thoughts? about that too? Sure, I do. And I, I just with a, along the lines of what you were just saying is that the attic is likely to be holding a particular types of things. So the things probably, maybe it's your holiday decoration. So that's a category. That's a subcategory of kimono. So that's already in its own pile. Um, it could be things, as Kristen said, probably it's a lot of sentimental items. If they're things that you've decided to keep in the attic and you don't have them in your day-to-day life, then they're probably things that are just hard, that, that have a, a memories behind them and they're hard to just let go of. So then that's part of your sentimental category and that you're probably going to do that at the end anyway. Um, well, you know, whatever it is in your attic, I mean, you know, that it could be so many different types of things, but it's likely that there are things that you, that you're not using a lot. So it's really a great opportunity to say, is this something that I need to keep? Is this something that I just put in the attic because I, I it was a gift and I didn't feel like I could give it away or um, it doesn't really suit me anymore, but it was expensive or, um, you know, any number of reasons that we tend to, to squirrel things away in spaces that we don't really get to or need to get to that often. So I completely agree. I would treat it as just one big subcategory of miscellaneous. Um, and if you have items up there that do fit into a category that you could have forgotten about, books is something that could be a likely one. Then again, then apply the same criteria as you would to anything else. How do I see myself using – how does my future self – see me using this item. Um, and that sometimes will give you a lot of information about um, an item held um, separate from the rest of the pile. If you don't have the rest of the pile to compare it to, then you think in terms of that particular item and how it fits in with your vision. So I think it's definitely a challenge. I think a lot of people have this kind of a situation, as you said, whether it's the basement or the attic or storage lockers here in New York City. It seems like everyone has a, an off-site storage locker. Um, so those things, obviously, it's just completely impractical to try to get all the category, all of it, all of the category together if it's spread out over a, a lot of a lot of area. Um, so you know, don't let that don't let that trip you up. Just treat it as one big miscellaneous category and. And, and treat it in, in its turn. Yes. And Hester, just another tip in terms of small spaces, it's really going to be important for you to prioritize your tidying times into big chunks. So we suggest three to five hours so that you can fully complete one category uh, before moving on to the next or, or try to, trying to avoid, you know, having to stop short and things are still out and about and chaotic in the home. Uh, so it's really going to be important 
important for you to to make time for each particular category so that you don't run into this situation where you have tidied uh, or started the process and it's taken over your house and you have nowhere to sleep or nowhere to move around and, and function. Uh, so just another tip, just make sure to leave enough time so that you can pl- complete one full category at a time and then move on to the next. And each time just extracting all of those things together into one location in your home and then making the decisions, putting them away and then going through that cycle again with the next category. So it never gets to a point where it's super overwhelming. So thank you, Hester, so much for your very thoughtful email. And please keep us posted on your progress and let us know how it's going as you continue your KonMari journey. There you have it. Common KonMari myths and missteps. If you found yourself questioning the effectiveness of KonMari or you've attempted your KonMari tidying event and you haven't really achieved that desired outcome of lasting permanent change, this episode was for you. So stay the course and don't lose faith in yourself and your vision. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our Spark Joy podcast community and get notified when each episode airs. You can also join the Spark Joy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at Spark Joy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey, of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago, and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with KonMari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of KonMari Media Incorporated or the KonMari Consultant Community.